0: <laughs>
2: With a time machine? Is of a DeLorean? This is the stupid cancer
0: show. Uh oh. Sounds like somebody's got a case of the Mundus. Because he has a lot of chutzpah. <laughs> Hello there, children. Hey, hey, kids. <laughs> People seem to like me because I am polite and I'm rarely late. And now the hosts of the stupid cancer show, Lisa Bernhard and Matthew Duffey. Doesn't there's anything wrong with
1: us? Oh yeah. Monday, November 7th, and welcome back to the Stupid Cancer Show, the voice of young adult cancer. I'm Matthew Zachary, a 15-year young adult survivor of pediatric brain cancer.
0: And I'm Lisa Bernhard, 16-year young adult breast cancer survivor, and we're your hosts for The Stupid Cancer Show. It's not okay. Not okay.
1: 70,000 young adults
3: are... <laughs> you broke, Matt.
1: I broke character. It's not okay that 70,000 young adults are diagnosed with cancer each and every year. So, got cancer under 40? Sucks, huh? Time to get busy living, folks, because the stupid cancer show is changing the world one chemo infusion at a time. Tonight's show, what the
0: heck is an e patient? Well, who's going to be telling us? Amy Tenderick. She's a patient advocate, diabetes blogger, health 2.0 speaker and consultant, and she's the founder of Diabetes Mind. Yes, that's right, diabetes. We said it, not cancer, diabetes. And ePatient Dave DeBroncard. He's a survivor of kidney cancer, national patient advocate and activist, is a volunteer chairman for the Society for Participatory Medicine, author, blogger, speaker, and founder of ePatientDave.com and kicking it off in the Survivor Spotlight. She's in studio here, Rachel Capio, Young Adult Survivor, Melanoma.
1: The Stupid Cancer Show is a production of the MC Young for Cancer Foundation. Online at stupidcancer.com, we are not your father's cancer society, and we are bringing the cause of Cancer Under 40 to the national spotlight, where it belongs, so welcome aboard. Another fun-filled and exciting Rubs of the hay. On tonight's Stupid Cancer Show, where remission is not a cure, and survivorship is all that matters.
0: And a Stupid Cancer welcome to any and all of our first-time listeners here on the Blog Talk Radio Network and on iTunes. Download us for free. It's automatic. As we broadcast live from the Chemo Deck, our fabulous
1: studio in downtown Manhattan. And as a final reminder, the Stupid Cancer Show has a live interactive chat room during every show. We invite you to join in the fun, connect with our friends, and ask questions of our guests. And with that... Hi, happy November. happy November. Happy November to you, Matthew. <laughs> we have some great guests in the studio besides the lovely Rachel Capio, who is here this evening. Our Survivor Spotlight. Hello, my dear.
4: Hello. How are you? Hi, we Rachel. We are we are
1: joined by the wonderful, great, and powerful, fantastic Amanda Freeman. Hi, Amanda. Yes. Hi,
4: Matt. How,
5: how
1: are you doing? Great.
4: How's calculus
1: going? <laughs>
5: <laughs> You're, really getting your well. degree, right? You're getting your
1: graduate degree, aren't you? Yeah, so, pretty soon. Yeah, yeah uh-huh.
0: not that long.
1: And and we have a very special guest. Yes, in we the do. Studio. Very first time special guest. Mm-hmm. And may I say, it's about damn time. <clears throat> anyway, please welcome to the studio the one and only from the Wall Street Journal, Gwendolyn Bounds. Gwendolyn Bounds. Wendy, Wendy, Wendy. Step up to the mic. Well, people sound better when their mouths are full. It actually offsets how parable I sound. Eat the
0: mic, Wendy. It's, eat the mic. I love yeah. to eat the mic. Your guys' studio is pretty sweet here. Yeah?
1: Yeah. Thank you. So who owns the Wall Street <laughs> Journal? I don't
0: know who owns Wall Street Journal.
1: Is that News Corp? All right, it's News Corp. Yes. Yeah, all right. It so, is. All right, so tell Rupert Murdoch you need more turkey burgers.
0: <laughs> Rupert, we need more turkey burgers. There you go. And, he, and you know, he's listening right now.
1: He, he, does, he is. He's an, yeah. He, in fact, he is um, he is a squeaky squeaky wheel in the chat room. In the room. chat
0: room, <laughs> well, he, he he always he always listens to Wendy, just yeah. not me, the other Wendy, the other right, Wendy, his other wife, Wendy's. right? Yes, Wendy Bang. That's, right.
1: That's right. That's right. All
0: right, you guys have a great I'm t- show. I'm, I'm too young for this. I'm going back to eat. <laughs> okay.
1: Okay. Thanks for having me. Wendy Bounds.
0: Yay! He, yay! The blonde in the corner. Exactly. Um, he is squeaky wheel because you know why? He always gets the grease.
1: Yes. Uh. Dum dum dum.
0: <laughs> 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 Speaking of turkey. Sarc- Speaking of turkey brothers.
1: Yeah. <laughs> Paul Rubens has made the news because he's apparently 50 years old and still dressing like Wee Herman.
0: Yeah. But at least he stops masturbating in public now and doesn't get arrested anymore.
1: Right. That's, far, that's,
0: well, he doesn't get arrested anymore. No, but whether, whether he's masturbating in public, we don't know. It's
1: only medically induced now. <laughs> Speaking <laughs> of medically induced, Conrad, what's his face? Murray. Conrad Murray. Guilty. Guilty.
0: Yep. Well... He's only going to get up to four years though. That's not. That's not, that's not too terrible. That'll you to drug a pop star. You know, it's funny actually. When I was having a colonoscopy, I like to start a lot of stories like that. When I was having that's a... Friday night, right? When I was yeah, exactly.
3: Oh, <laughs> Barrier yeah. shooters. When I. shooters. Was... <laughs> 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 <Barriers.
0: laughs>
5: Now I know why
0: we keep Kenny around. (laughs) Happy
3: hour at Lisa's house. (laughs) (laughs) How was that Chipotle last
0: night? (laughs) Oh, my gosh. Holy crap. Literally. (laughs) Um, Anyway, as I was about to uh, go under, I said, uh, so what kind of stuff do you use to put me out of this? He said, oh, don't worry about it. It's just the stuff that the doctor gave to kill Michael Jackson. Um, and I said, well, you might want to rephrase up, that to the next patient. But that's what it is, that propyl, how do you say yeah, it?
3: Propofol. Propofol. Oh. Diprivan is the uh, trade name.
0: Oh, thank you, chemist. You're welcome. That's why I forgot you worked at a pharmacy. It's yeah. a pharmacy Pharma- tech. A it pharmac- smells great tech. when you
3: break the vial yeah. on the floor.
0: It does it? Oh, yeah? Yeah, nice. Oh, yeah. Um, so, that was, uh, so that's what they use when they, I guess, well, at least my doctor uses it when they put you on it for colonoscopy. So you I, I wouldn't think you'd want to just, you know, doze off for a nap with it.
1: Well, he was really using it like, like Robitussin, Yeah. You know. Yeah.
0: Well, but what's so that's crazy it. is Propofol doesn't last very long. No, no it,
3: it's the it's the beginning, and then they put the gas over you to sustain.
0: Exactly.
4: Uh-huh. So that's
0: right. We have another medical uh, student here. Chemistry major, yeah. right?
4: Basically. It's, she's, yeah. She's
0: <laughs> pre-med.
1: She's pre-med, but she's like a chemistry nerd. Yeah. Like our first our first lunch date, she's telling talking about like esters and east east esters and ethers and carboxylic acid They group. know
0: all this stuff, and they're yeah. like, both their ages like add, added up, like, don't even make right. <laughs> car
1: ages. Right, exactly.
0: Anyway. Uh, so what else is happening? Speak for so, yourself,
1: you septuagenarian. Thank you Yes. very much. Well, we want to give a special shout-out to Mr. Ethan Zahn. Yes, we do. Our dear friend uh, who has been on the show. He was the keynote speaker at OMG 2010, Hodgkin's lymphoma. Relapsed back in 2010, survived transplant, and just relapsed again two weeks ago. Ran the New York City Marathon. So, what does he
0: do? He goes out and runs the New York City Marathon. Finishes four hours and 20 minutes. Not too shabby. That's my old
1: time. Oh, yeah. (laughs) But that was, I'm sorry, that was the New York City 23rd, 24th Street Marathon. Right. Right.
0: That was, uh, yeah, so he, he, uh, and I guess he had a pretty, Jenna uh, Moroska, his girlfriend, was on the route, and they Mm -hmm. had a kind of tearful
1: hug. He's getting another transplant from his brother. Wow. His brother's a match, and he's getting a transplant. And he's on this this experimental chemo, which doesn't make you lose your hair, but it only targets the lungs, which is where his recurrence is.
0: It is, okay. Yeah. Well, we wish him... All the best yeah. and congrats on uh,
1: congratulations on getting on out there, being and, the man. Yeah, exactly. Totally being the man. Yep. Uh, we had a stupid cancer boot camp in Philly this weekend. It was highly successful. We have some folks in the chat room who were there. Uh, again, uh, forty, fifty people came. Great speakers: Rebecca Nellis from Cancer oh, and Careers, I love her. She's great. Juana Morales from Cancer Legal Resource Center were there. Gave their rousing dog and pony show. They
0: never fail to. They uh, never
1: fail. They're always. To do they just Know great. everything. They got it. They got it down. They're good people. Yep. Um and then we have another boot camp coming up in New Orleans, uh which we'll announce during the news, but it's boot camp season apparently. Nice. Yes. And then Kenny and I are off to Austin, Texas on Wednesday for the uh LiveStrong Young Adult Alliance meeting.
3: I thought it was our second anniversary.
1: <laughs> Uh-oh. No, no, that's a different date. Yeah. Oh, honey. Kenny. Yes. Oh Come dear. on now. Oh, dear.
0: Well, that's exciting. What yes. else you got? Then we have the big Big, 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 big OMG coming up. We'll That's talk right. about that more later. We but will.
1: Registration for OMG launches a week from tomorrow. Big gulp in my throat.
0: We have terrific stuff lined up.
1: We have great stuff lined up. We have up.
0: some surprises in store. And uh, folks should start f- fundraising. Again, we'll talk more about it on the news, but the Players Club, we've already got.
1: Players Club, like 108 people have joined the Players Club already. And 92 of them have already raised at least $50. Outstanding.
0: Outstanding.
1: So that's some significant stuff going on. And we know people typically um, people fundraise at the last minute. They realize, oh, shit, it's January, and I have to fundraise by the end of February. Yep. But I'm fairly sure we're going to do very well. It's going to be an incredibly uh, engaged audience. People are going to earn such amazing prizes and rewards, and they're going to be in Vegas at the end of March for the what we're calling the hippest event in all of Cancerland.
0: Baby needs a new set of testicles.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Man, we're full of the jokes tonight. Brass balls, if you will. <laughs> Very nice. All right, ten, eight eleven.
0: Should 811. we get our first
1: guest up? We will. Uh, I'm going to Rickroll you just because I've Uh-oh. known you for such a long time yeah, now. Yeah,
0: that's fine.
1: All right. Let's, I love uh... being
0: Rickrolled. Oh, it's so nice. It is so nice. Look
1: at she's got the groove on, oh, too. She's yeah. got the groove. She's rolling with it. Rachel Capia was born in Norway, the son of a goat herder. No I'm kidding. <laughs> Rachel Capia was a 21-year-old student at Fordham University when she was diagnosed with AML, acute myelogenous leukemia. Yep. She received a stem cell transplant, and after graduation, began working at Sloan Kettering because she's a button for punishment. <laughs> While working, Rachel decided she wanted to become a nurse, and is currently finishing up her last semester at NYU. Woo-hoo! This year brought Rachel's five-year cancer bursary and to keep life exciting, a new diagnosis of melanoma. Because the cancer's so nice, you got it twice. But now she's once again cancer-free and five weeks away from graduating with her BSN, her Bachelor's of Nursing. S As- N.
3: Bachelor's science of Science in really? Nursing.
1: All right, Rachel Campo gets the extra applause.
4: Woo,
1: thank All right, you. Rachel. All right. Now you, me. I met you at least four plus years ago.
4: Yes, and you were
1: one of the very first
4: charter member, like the
1: Lindsay Brass yes. days.
4: with a nice little boy haircut.
1: That's right.
4: Yeah, that right. that's right.
1: Yeah. And you were, uh, you were fresh off the, off the meat truck.
4: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. Fresh off Good. the meat
1: truck. Well, you know the the chemotherapy wagon. Gotcha. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, my
4: social worker was like, hey, you want to go to this comedy show for young adults who had was cancer? Was that the
1: first annual comedy show in 07 or was it the second in 08? It was
4: 07.
1: It was 07. the first? Yeah. We only did two because it just got like cost ineffective. But right, we used right. to have the Stupid Cancer Comedy Show, which is our benefit in August 07, But you were there. I was there. That was amazing. Wow. And I was
4: like, oh, that's the guy. That's Matthew. He started it. And right. then I met you, and I was like, oh. Um, and now, yeah. now, we do, <laughs> now we do a weekly roast of you. Yeah, you do. I stand here a god. I
1: stand here a god. A blob. A god, a, a, a god blob. A
0: god blob, yep.
1: So I am uh, just so excited that you're still around. You've...
4: Me you. too. Every morning, excited I'm still around. I was just being yes. narcissistic. That's,
0: that's our standard intro to everybody. Yes. We're so excited you're still around. Not,
1: your heart's still pumping is a good thing. We're glad no for far. you. So yeah. far, but you look great. Exactly. So you you have seen the organization grow over five, yeah, four, four we have five years now. I know. You, there you, used to be a table.
4: That we borrowed from right. someone.
1: You never came to my house like Adele did, no, right? No, okay, no. Adele used to come to my house and actually physically bundle in my living room. <laughs> it was amazing. The house was after the van, right? <laughs> <laughs> my scooby doo yes. yes. Uh, but you were in the very first offices and like yeah. that hole in the wall uh, downstairs by the elevators. Yeah, yeah,
4: that? yeah,
1: yeah. That hole in the wall. That I was thought it was
4: like a supply closet.
1: It was a supply closet, actually. <laughs> They cleaned it out for us. They took out all the cancer-causing stuff. Maybe yeah. that's why you had the stroke. Was yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. in that room for too long. Yeah. So,
0: Rachel, so you were 21
4: AML. AML good and have, to get
1: cancer.
0: Yeah.
4: You, yeah. Must,
0: you must have been like, what the heck is AML?
4: Yeah. Right. I mean, at first, well, it was a whole long process of let me just vomit every day for six weeks, and my roommate will think I have an eating disorder, <laughs> and my parents will think I'm pregnant, um, <laughs> and then we'll get a blood test. <laughs> Um, and then, yeah, I mean, pretty much they were just like, "You have leukemia," and I was like, "Oh, the baby cancer?" Isn't yeah, is that it, what little kids get? Right. Um, and then, yeah, the AML didn't really come up till a little bit later, but no, the initial leukemia was kind of confusing at first. But I was like, "Well, I know I'm not pregnant." Yeah. Well, there's the- so that's. Hey, hey, mom Good. and dad, not pregnant, but yeah. <laughs> so you went right into treatment. Did you start with what happened at that point? So I did um, first my round of uh, induction chemo. So I was inpatient for about five weeks, and then that actually put me in remission. And during that time, my brother was tested and was a perfect match for stem cell transplant. So they set me up directly to go right into transplant. And then the morning of my transplant, um my brother wasn't feeling well and it turned out my 16-year-old brother had mono. <gasps>
0: oh wow.
4: Um so I had to do another round of consolidation chemo while he recovered from kissing whoever he decided to smooch. Oh. <laughs> wow. And um no I'm sure he didn't do it on purpose. Um and then and then I had the transplant and I was in chemo radiation the whole nine yards for another five, six weeks, and then called it a day and said, peace out. I'm done with this. And then, is that what inspired you then to go say, I want to go work at Sloan Kettering? Yeah, yeah. Um, As Matt said, I guess I'm a glutton for punishment, but... Um. Yeah. I mean, everyone there was so great to me, and that, I just, that's where you were treated. Yeah. Oh, so you went right before you were treated. To yeah. said sign me up, which I'm sounded gonna... like a good idea until then. I had to start going to appointments, and for, for, my coworkers were like, so "Oh, the, your
1: HIPAA waiver was actually a job obligation."
4: <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So except yeah, until I had to get a bone scan, and I knew the coworker, and I. Handed over my clothes and I was like, "Here, coworker, here's my bra. This is really <laughs> awkward." <laughs> wow. Yeah. But no, I mean, it's a, it's been a pleasure. I would love to go back there one day as a nurse. But so then,
0: so then the nursing school came in. You just you knew you wanted to have a career, obviously. in the Yeah. Originally, field. I was going to
4: do social. I was thinking social work. Um, but then the whole applying to grad school process got a curveball with the cancer diagnosis. So I just started working, and then while I was working there, and really got to know a lot of the nurses, I was like, I can do that. I think I want to do that. Yeah. So, went back to school. So then in school, so the melanoma, <laughs> when did you first notice that? Um, this past spring, um, I went to the. I finally, um, because I was blacker, started seeing an outside dermatologist, and during a body check. Uh, I'm hyper conscious of the ABCDs of skin check, right? Because I get taught that in school now.
1: And oh, wait, wait, I should know this. We've had Jenny on the show like three times. Yeah. A, A is um uh asymmetrical. a-symmetrical. B Board. is border. C is color. Yep. And D is depth. No, D. Well, is
4: there's a bunch of. I mean, you can do dark. Well, isn't it? Oh, d- now I'm not gonna pass nursing school. <laughs> <Uh-oh>. <laughs> Back to the Google. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, no, but E is like now it's like evolution. They've
0: right. added on more letters. Yeah. Okay.
4: But so they wanted mostly to promote e for like, diameter. Diameter. Yeah. Okay. All right.
0: So you went for NA a whole, totally Google. knew that. Yeah. <laughs> you went for a full body check.
4: Yeah. And I pointed out this spot on my ankle, and she was like, mm, "No, you're fine." And then I went back six months later and pointed out it's the same spot on my ankle, which had
0: gotten bigger. Or it
4: just it is changed. <laughs> okay. The evolution, I guess. Um there was just something that just didn't look right. It was kind of like pinkish reddish. It was definitely it had been new the 6 months prior and then she again was like, "Well, if it makes you feel better, I'll take it off." Yes, please. So she took it off, got the phone call, by the way, it's melanoma, and then I left her and I actually worked in the dermatology unit at Sloan, at Sloan. Right. so I kind of went back to them and was like, remember me? I'm back <laughs> as a patient, wow. and they took good care of me. and uh, un- uh, Fortunately, it was only stage one, so I just needed the excision and sew up, and so they got clear margins. and it was, Clear margins, so no chemo yeah. at that no. point. No, okay. no. That's yeah, great. You yeah. like
1: your hair too much now.
4: Yeah, I know. I'm trying to grow it out. Yeah. It's up. So. It's up. You got in a <laughs> ponytail. It's, yeah. So that's
0: a relief, then. Yeah. Uh, so yeah. have you had any ling- uh, in terms of the AML, any lingering effects or anything from that, or you've you've moved on and you're good and?
4: Yeah, I just have a lot of. I mean, I have to see now. I have cataracts from radiation, so I have to see my eye doctor all the time. That's fun. Now I wait, have wait,
1: to wait. 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 There are side effects. <laughs> I know getting true. cured from I cancer.
4: I guess no one told you this. They just figured it out recently. Wait, there are like side effects <laughs> getting cured from cancer. Stroke. So, um,
1: I need to get a sound clip of like a rowing crew from from from, from uh, Harvard. Stroke.
4: Stroke.
0: Stroke. See, um, so yeah, I Kenny, mean, Kenny wants to say something. No Yeah, comment. exactly.
4: That's not true. You always have a comment. That is true. Save it for your uh, honeymoon, Kenny. <laughs> <laughs> Pillow talk.
3: Hey.
0: <laughs> um, so, are you in? So, what did you go into the oncology unit at, at Sloan and nursing? Or what What is your specialty in, in getting your nursing degree?
4: So, right now it's just the general bachelor's degree, and then hopefully I pass the boards and I actually become an RN. And then I figure, I mean, I would love to do pediatric oncology, I think, um, but it's going to come down to. Trying, you know, seeing where I get my first gig, right? Seeing what I like, what I end up not liking, and I'll probably be. You're based here in New York, right? Yeah, yeah. Hopefully, I'll find a job. Yeah. Anyone listening, if you have a connection. (laughs) Well, what about also
0: being a nurse nurse navigator?
4: She could be a nurse navigator and guide
0: patients. I mean, she'd be absolutely perfect. You would
1: be the best nurse navigator
0: candidate ever,
1: except for everyone that I know that I like.
0: To God, people I who could join they, their ranks.
1: Nurse navigation is a new subspecialty in nursing that's very quickly taking off. It's a hybrid of clinical versus psychosocial. You're not quite a social worker, but you're trained in the navigation of patients. Not like here's your insurance and here's your this, right. but here's i to y Yeah. You know, here's we had like it, a seven
4: you know. second info in part of our lectures about nurse navigators, but it was about seven seconds long.
1: So is that really it? Just, it. Uh, Sharon will be thrilled. Sharon <laughs> France is the CEO of the yeah. National uh, Coalition. I think it was actually a, a, a guest edition.
4: lecturer in my right. oncology class.
0: Well, e-patient Dave was already in the chat room, is giving you a woot for uh, Nurse Navigator. And we've already had an, another comment that uh, you'll make a
1: great nurse. You've oh, got a fan, fan club. Here. It's, it's,
0: it's <laughs> a burgeoning.
1: Fan club. A groundswell of support well, no, for well, you. they well, can
0: celebrate Rachel Capio Day.
1: I was going to say, like, <laughs> there, is, there is a Rachel Capio Day in Montclair, New Jersey. In is Ramsey, that? New Jersey. Ramsey, New Jersey.
4: There is. The whole yeah. town of Ramsey? Yeah. When I was uh, receiving treatment, my friends had a big fundraiser for me, and the mayor brought me a plaque and announced August 4th, Rachel Capio Day in the town of Ramsey, New Jersey. That nice. is awesome. And now now kind we of drink. Big, yeah. And now we drink.
1: And now we drink.
4: Not that we promote drinking on this show ever. Tiki-tiki, tiki <laughs> Oi, oi,
1: oi. I'm pretty well, mark, sure we have promoted it.
4: Mark your calendar, every people. Time
1: we, every time we talk about Vegas.
4: You can take a drink in your new I2I, in Eight. your stupid cancer shot glass.
1: Yes, you can have a shot glass.
4: <laughs>
0: August 4th, Ramsey, New Jersey. Yes. Rates that's the, the best of day. day of Ramsey's existence. Right. Yep.
4: We're still rallying for that parade. It hasn't happened yet. <laughs> One day. One day. Nice. All right. Very nice. Well, cool, well, you're going to stick around for the rest of the show.
1: Yeah, so you can Woo-hoo. chime in and make fun of Kenny anytime.
4: Oh, my yep. favorite activity.
1: Fantastic. All right, Rachel, you get to thank you. Woo-hoo.
4: Thanks. Rachel Capio.
1: Woo-hoo. Rachel Capio.
0: Two-time Survivor <laughs> Champion on her way to being a nurse.
1: All right, let's hit up the news, people. Hello, I'm Kent Brockman, and this is Eye on Cancer. Just the facts, ma'am. So dramatic. It is. We like that, though. During this part of the Stupid Cancer Show, we announced to our listeners a whole bunch of newsworthy programs, events, and services that we do not want you missing out on. And they're all free. And they're all just for young adults affected by cancer, including caregivers. Things like conferences, happy hours, retreats, kayaking and mountain climbing trips, finance webinars, college scholarships, bar girls, concerts, tweet-ups, support groups, and more. If you have something coming up that you'd like us to spread the word about during this part of the show please send us an email to info at stupidcancer.com.
0: Head on over to events.stupidcancer.com, your one-stop shop calendar for all of our social and educational events nationwide. Stay in the loop, because something could be happening in your neck of the woods, and we don't want you missing out. What's going on, Kenny?
3: Thanks, Lisa.
0: <laughs> <laughs> we have a
3: Stupid Cancer Happy Hour coming up in North Carolina on November 12th. It's in the whole Saturday. state of North
0: Carolina? Yes, Where is the whole state. It?
3: The Triangle. Uh, We have a Super Cancer Boot Camp in New Orleans uh, November 17th. Uh, We have a Buffalo Bowling Happy Hour November 29th, and another Happy Hour in D.C. on the 30th. Awesome. Back to you, Lisa.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So once again, a lot of drinking. All right, the Stupid Cancer Forums have nearly 1,200 members. Is that right? Yeah, it
1: went up by like 150.
0: That's insane. Yeah. This is your premier online community to connect with survivors, if we do say so ourselves, at 1,200 uh, members, patients, parents, and caregivers just like you. Visit stupidcancerforums.com. Sign up with one click through
1: Facebook. Announcing Team Stupid Cancer 2012, our official running team for the New York City Half Marathon next March, Got Feet? Actually, with our crew... Under 40? <laughs> with our crew, you don't need, really need feet. Uh, join the hippest running team in, in Cancerland with, uh, within one block radius of our office. Guaranteed entry, no lottery, low fundraising minimums, and help young adults fight Stupid Cancer. Visit TeamStupidCancer.com today. Limited slots.
0: Actually, did you see the full marathon? They had their wheelchair race, which is outstanding.
1: Yes, those are amazing people.
0: Who needs feet, like you said. All right, game on. The 5th Annual OMG Cancer Summit for Young Adults in Las Vegas at the Palms Casino Resort. Mark your calendars, March 30th, 31st, and April 1st for an all-out weekly weekend of insanely awesome programs, events, and social networking. At the hippest annual event in all of cancer land. Visit the official omg2012.org site. Get pumped for the most highly anticipated healthcare event of next year, says us. Also, check out the OMG Players Club. This is great. Matthew, you said we have not, how many? Over 100 people. Over 100 people.
1: Join the Players Club.
0: Already. Join the Players Club. It's a great way to raise money, to foot the bill for your trip to Vegas. You can earn up to $600 in travel reimbursement and even win a brand new iPad. And who doesn't want to be a player? Who doesn't want to be a player? Are you a player? I am
3: a player. Yeah. All right, then. Play on, player.
0: <laughs> and
3: that is, is your stupid, stupid Cancer news. news. All
0: right, I got Amy? Sure. Sure. Why not? You get ePA Back to you, Lisa. All oh. right. Amy Tenderick is a journalist, blogger, and patient advocate who started <laughs> DiabetesMine.com after her diagnosis with type 1 diabetes in 2003. Her site has become a leading online destination for people with diabetes and one of the top health blogs around the country and the world. In 2006, she won the Lily for Life Achievement Award for Diabetes Journalism from Eli Lilly and Company. She is co-author, along with Dr. Richard Jackson, of Know Your Numbers, Outlive Your Diabetes, a unique motivational guide to the five key medical tests that everyone with diabetes should have and monitor regularly. Can tell us basically what it's like to be an e patient, whether you have cancer, diabetes, take power, take charge. She lives outside San Francisco, California, with her husband, three daughters, and her calico cat. All right, please help us welcome to the Stupid Cancer Show, Amy Tendrick. Welcome
1: back to the Stupid Cancer (laughs) Show. Yes, that's right. Amy Tendrick, returning champion. Hi there. Hello,
5: thanks for having me. Hi, Amy. Hi.
1: So great to have you back on the show.
5: It's nice to be here.
1: How is uh... so
5: enthusiastic. I love it.
1: <laughs> well, well, we we do get paid. So
5: <laughs> <laughs> That helps.
1: How is uh life in the uh Silicon Valley area?
5: It's good. It's good. There's always something going on.
1: <laughs> yeah, have you seen the uh that new Apple donut building that's going up?
5: Yes, the donut.
1: <laughs> right.
5: Quite the quite the uh, yes yeah, conversation piece around here.
1: Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Apple's building like a new spaceship, It's yeah. like a giant like fire. It was Steve
5: Jobs' dream. It you know? was right. a dream, yeah. But the donut is usually like known as the thing you carry around and sit on if you have you know problems in certain areas. <laughs> you can That's say true. hemorrhoids
1: in the buttocks. That's fine. We
5: uh-huh, are uh-huh. not FCC
1: regulated. <laughs> so so I I saw Dave. Uh, sorry, I have to say ePatient Dave is the brand. I saw ePatient Dave at ePatCon, the ePatient conference. In Philadelphia a we couple of weeks ago. We have to put an ago. E in
0: front of everything tonight. Yeah,
1: yeah, oh, right. E, Lisa, E, Kenny, E, Matthew, e yeah. Amy. And um, uh, I was like, we have not had Dave on the show ever. And it's such a relevant issue because the entire young adult cancer movement is itself an aggregated e-patient community. They just don't realize it. And like, well, if we're going to build a show around Dave, we got to get Amy back. So <laughs> you're so sweet. <laughs> you no, know, because the last show that you were on was called... All Young Adult Chronic Diseases Suck. (laughs) That was the name of the show.
5: And it's still
1: true. I'm surprised it hasn't hasn't cured itself yet. So
0: the
1: the idea of that show, and then again this show, is that it sucks enough to be struggling to live your life in your 20s and 30s as it is, throw a chronic disease on there that you yourself are not at fault for having, and then it just adds to the mix of having to navigate family, friends, insurance, uh, legal issues, fertility, careers. And you embody that for the diabetes movement in young adults. And I just, you know, I wanted you to just talk about, you know, how your life growing up with this chronic disease and how it's impacted you and, you know, how you chose to, you know, become an opinion leader. and, And you have this huge following now.
5: Oh, thank you. So I am the poster child for the suckiness of having a chronic illness. (laughs) Great to know. Congratulations. I I, I do need to correct you, though. I did not grow up with this chronic illness. I actually got the chronic illness when I was in my 30s. So that's where another monkey wrench came in, because I had this whole life before ever having to deal with this thing. And sometimes I think if I'd always had it, I wouldn't have known anything else, you know. So it definitely, for me, it hit – right after my third child was born. So talk about complicating your life. Um I had a five year old, a three year old, and then my five month old baby. And that's right about the time where I just started to realize something was terribly wrong. I got really sick and was in the hospital for a week, um, which I know many people spend much longer there, but that was plenty for me. And uh my life got all turned upside down trying to figure this thing out. And for me, you know, that was back in the pre e patient community days. So I was desperately seeking someone to understand and someone to connect with, and that's how this all got started. And I started my blog basically as the site that I had been looking for and didn't find at that time. So, And it's been amazing to just sort of end up in the middle of this whole e-patient movement. Like I had no idea that all of this stuff was going to spring up around me, not only hundreds and thousands of other blogs, but all of these communities and all of this online activism. And it's fantastic. I think someone who's diagnosed now is coming into a whole different universe of support and sort of you know e-ness, e-patientness that didn't exist then.
0: So what was the, where where did you turn, Amy? I mean, before you got this going yourself. I mean, voice some of your sort of frustrations and what you were able to kind of find as you tried to do research on your own.
5: Well, I'm sure. I mean, we all share this experience, and it's still true today that one of the biggest things you experience when you get diagnosed is just this really wrong sense of isolation, of just feeling like the only person on the planet, you know, and and as well-meaning as the people in your personal life often are, <laughs> they don't understand because they're not walking in your shoes. And so um, just, you know, I felt um, just kind of desperate to find someone else um, who was, you know, an actual patient other than, you know, the doctors who were very nice and the nurses, you know, they were all very kind, but I didn't think they really had a clue what it felt like to actually do this thing every day. You know, and um, I was already a freelance writer, a journalist in um, technology here in Silicon Valley. So, of course, I went to the Internet thinking, oh, this is great. I'm going to find stuff. And at the time, you know, I I Googled something about diabetes. I think it was foot care because I didn't really understand what the feet had to do with the rest of it. And I got like 1.3 million hits on Google. So it was kind of like this, oh, my God, what do I do with this? You know, and none of that information was sort of presented in a real kind of real life way from a real from real patients because again there were no communities then there were barely blogs and just trying to find other real people to connect with to kind of get answers to your real life questions um i was uh, getting kind of desperate i mean i found some of the you know listservs in the early forums that helped um but when i discovered that this sort of blogging stuff had just started and at that time there were maybe about four people who had uh, started a blog about diabetes that was just like this aha moment for me of wow you know here are some real people who are actually sharing their feelings and their you know struggles and I want to do that and I want to reach out and so you know the hope was that I could sort of put on my journalist hat and kind of treat diabetes like it was my beat at a newspaper, so kind of report about it, but at the same time just talk about what I was going through and hopefully find others who would want to connect. And, you know, that happened in such a big way that I could never have imagined, and it's totally changed my life, and now changed the life of thousands of people out there. So, you know, call it E, call it whatever you want. I mean, we're we're networked now in a way that we weren't before, and that's so powerful.
0: Before we get to more about your blog and how you uh, – Kind of came about such a huge following. um how much did your tell us about when you got that diagnosis? You had the three kids as you mentioned, and the youngest being just five months old. What was your treatment immediately? I mean how much did that kind of take you out of your life, and how did you juggle all that with with those three young kids?
5: uh well, I always say for me the first whole first year was just kind of a nightmare um i had um so the way it all kind of went down is my baby had been really sick, so he had the flu um. And so it's funny, I mean, just, you know, having child number three really changes your life already, and then throwing this whole thing into the mix just absolutely floored me. So the baby was sick. I'd been up with her every night, so I thought, oh, I'm exhausted. I'm losing weight because I'm just, you know, over the top with sleep deprivation. And, you know, I'd been taking, like, allergy medicines because my sinuses were all weird and my vision was blurry and everything was kind of off. But I just thought, well, I'm just this exhausted mom, so of course, you know. Uh, But then it got to the point where I was waking up in the morning skinnier than I had been the night before. Wow. And, um, yeah, and, and, you know, my husband just slipped out and said, you need to go to the doctor. And, and, I mean, I thought, you know, it could be cancer, it could be AIDS. I mean, God knows what, you know, it could have been anything. I mean, it was not good. My hair was, like, starting to fall out in some places. I mean, it was just not, you know, every sign that something was wrong. So um, I did go in and basically... Uh, The the nurse took one look at me and said I think I know what's wrong with you but I'm not allowed to diagnose you (laughs) You have to see a doctor So I waited and you know they came and they said Okay we think you have diabetes You need to go get this blood test And they'll probably call you tonight um, But that's okay you know we'll deal with it Tomorrow kind of thing So I went home and I was like putting my children to bed And like an idiot I was drinking you know Fruit juice and eating cookies and stuff Because I was hungry Mm -hmm. which was only driving My blood sugar up into dangerous levels so they called me that night and said, you know, you need to come into the emergency room. I said, oh no, no, no. I know, you know, my doctor talked to me about this. It's, I'll come and see her tomorrow. They said, no, you need to come into the emergency room now. So my husband got on the phone with them. He hung up the phone to get your purse. We're leaving. So and then I didn't come home for a week after that because I apparently was like just inches away from going into a coma, which I had no idea. Wow. Because um, when your blood sugar reaches a certain Level, you go into something called diabetic ketoacidosis, which basically it's like your body kind of starts eating itself up and and you go into a coma. So I was very lucky that I actually just barely missed that because some people actually get diagnosed by going into a coma. Not good, you know. So, um, But, you know, I was there and they, because of my age, I was 37, they said, oh, you have type 2 diabetes. I thought, well, that's weird because I look like I've just been liberated from a concentration camp. Yeah. I mean, I was literally look like a skeleton. And um, they gave me some oral drugs, which basically did nothing. But then they also gave me in the hospital, they're kind of notoriously bad at dosing insulin, because they really don't know, you know, kind of what your sensitivity is to it. So they gave me shots and shots and shots overnight trying to get my glucose down, my my blood sugar down. And eventually, I almost went into insulin shock. So it's like, totally over-treated, you know. You are a fun (laughs) day. (laughs) I know, seriously. And that was kind of the story of my whole first year because they sent me home with this totally antiquated, like this literally like Xerox paper that said, you know, you should take this much insulin, which at the time was absolutely insanely too much for me. So I literally, after every meal, I was, I felt like I was having a nervous breakdown. I'd start shaking. I was having heart palpitations. I'm sweating. I'm just freaking out, and here I have these three little kids, I'm like afraid to leave the house with them, right. you know, I'm yeah. not, not right. going to get behind the wheel with these kids, you know, it was horrible, and like every meal, I was really upset about, like, can I actually eat this, and, you know, and you just feel like you're doing it wrong, I mean, you know, so you had the thing for, about...
0: I'm sorry, you, so you had this for about a year then, essentially, that went on? So you...
5: this, I got diagnosed in 2003, so for that first year, I mean, my, again, my baby was really small, the other two kids, I had three kids under five, so I was a little busy, um, and I was actually still working, believe it or not. <laughs> I was still writing, and it was just, like, kind of crazy. Um, but towards the end of that first year, so it was in 2004, then I, like, okay, I just I literally got up off the couch one day and said, I cannot live like this anymore. There has to be a better way. Yeah. And that's where I just, like, you know, I literally went to the Internet and ordered, like, a medical ID bracelet because I said, okay, I'm, I'm not going to worry anymore about being sort of, you know, labeled as a diabetic or that people might see that I have some illness. Like, I need to wear ID because I might pass out, you know. And then I also decided at that point, I'm going to research this. I'm going to find out. Like, forget about everybody else. I'm not waiting on anyone to sort of help me or figure this out for me. I need to just take this into my own hands, you know. It was kind of that turning point for me where I just said, you know, no more. Like, I could, you know, I thought it was kind of where I sort of, I guess, sort of melded my personal life and my professional, uh, you know, work ethic of saying, okay, I'm going to treat this like my job, and I'm just going to, like, I need to research this. I need to figure it out. I need to do something about it, you know, so maybe that's that sort of moment, that e-moment, right, where you just decide, like, I'm, I'm not going to take moment. anymore. That's right. Yeah, it's your so e-moment, did, you know. So how did you get,
0: at this point, I mean, had you met other young adults, or how did you tap into... How do people know about you? Did you how was it promoted? Did you through your well, career as a journalist? So one
5: of the, yeah, one of the really meaningful like again, part of the turning point for me was I, I had a friend of a friend, so I had vaguely knew that one of my friend's friends was this woman, this young woman with diabetes. So I had contacted my friend and like, Can I get in touch with that other woman and maybe we can meet for coffee or something? So I met up with this woman in a local cafe and she was younger than me. She was like in her twenties And she had a good job. She had a really nice (laughs) apartment in San Francisco and a boyfriend, like a fiancé, and she was doing all this stuff. And she'd had type 1 diabetes since she was young. And she just talked to me about, like, you know, yeah, it really sucks, and this is hard, and that's hard, and, you know, this is how I deal with it, and sometimes I screw up. And, you know, and I just looked at this woman, I thought, you know, if she can do this, so can I, you know. It was so empowering in a way to just meet another person You know, just this really together woman. But at the same time, she was saying, you know, it's hard. (laughs) You know, it does suck. And it was just a great, like, reality check for me. And I thought, there's got to be more people like that out there. So I just started kind of networking the heck. I figured, again, treating it a little bit like a job, I thought, well, I'm going to reach out to people who are kind of well-known in the diabetes industry, whether they're, like, authors or doctors or whatever. And I decided that I would attend um, some of the industry events. Um, I'm trying to remember how I started meeting patients. I guess, I mean, there was a couple people, like I said, a very few people who were doing blogs, and I definitely reached out to them. And then I started, you know, going to these events. I even went to some local support groups, which was hard for me at the time because I had to get a babysitter and pay them, and it was like a big, you know, event to leave the house in the evening. Um, but, you know, just the more you network, the more you, you know, <laughs> bump into people, right? And then people would say, oh, you should meet this person, you should meet that person. And soon, in addition to meeting doctors and, um, you know, people who are authors and, and kind of luminaries in the in the industry, I also started meeting people who were patients. And it, I also discovered, thankfully, that there are a lot of people who work in pharma and, and other aspects around diabetes who actually have the illness, and they're there because they're passionate about it.
1: Amy, let me, me hop in and ask you see. a question. Let me just ask you a okay. question. Um, going back to the idea of, uh, and we have to wrap in about three or four minutes, uh, the idea of the, the patient support community for itself. You know, one of the things that I found most ex- exciting about what, what my organization has done is it gave young adults with cancer uh, the idea that there are other people out there that they can have, get peer support with and share ideas with. Have you seen that happen in the young adult diabetic community?
5: Absolutely. There's been a huge just upswell of, um, you know, in particular people in that um, age group, and I'll tell you why. The two big organizations for diabetes were the American Diabetes Association, which mainly represents, like, adults with type 2, which is kind of a different world in a way. Right, yes. And then there was JDRF, which is the Juvenile Diabetes Research Foundation. And at that time, they had really nothing for people over 18. It's kind of like you grow up in this organization, and then you kind of get dumped out on your butt when you turn 18. It was really bad, you know. So a lot of young people, either newly diagnosed or long-time diabetics, who just were like, oh, my God, I'm 20 now or I'm 25 or whatever. I, I'm, you know, I want to connect with people. So there's now, um, JDR in the last year, started their own online community called Juvenations. And then there are others like um, YoungDiabetics.org and Diabetic Rockstar and... Um, uh, uh, what is, is Diabetes Sisters? Is one specifically for women with diabetes. So um, these are born these out
1: of the patient community.
5: Absolutely, these right. are all patient patient driven, um, c- you know, communities specifically for um, kind of young adults. Um, there's a really cool group out of Australia called Reality Tech. Um, there's a, there are several groups here in the states that focus on um, kind of athletics, doing sports with diabetes, which is a special challenge because you have to figure out how to manage your blood sugar so you don't pass out in the middle of taking a hike or something. Right, right. Um, so, yeah, there's been a huge upswell in that. And I love the fact that um, I was at a conference recently where they were talking about the whole e-patient movement. They were talking about networked patients as opposed to e-patients. And I, to me, that's kind of the crux of it. I mean, not everyone is out there to sort of challenge authority, but being networked, you know, being in, feeling like you're part of this community, you know, through the online world, and then also hopefully that enables some in-person um, connections as well. Just being networked makes people, you know, helps us be more informed and just feel more personally empowered and not have that sense of that strong sense of isolation that I think was crippling people for so long.
0: Amy, I want to jump in and, and just ask you something before we wrap real quickly. Um, Steve Jobs recently passed away, and, it, and I just was look, you know, looking at your blog, that you had written an open letter to him a few years back for people who are kind of um, gadget-dependent, but not in terms of iPods and iPhones, but for health-related reasons, that you were calling for sort of a redesign. Can you quickly tell us, did anything ever come of that? Have things advanced health that that was about? And and is anything um, advanced in that area?
5: Oh, absolutely. I'm so glad you asked. Um, So that's one of the... Huge advocacy campaigns that I've worked on for the last three years, almost four years now. We launched an an innovation competition called the Diabetes Mind Design Challenge, based off of that post and the reaction that it got. And it was underwritten by the California Healthcare Foundation, and we got IDO Design involved, which is like this world-renowned design firm. Right. And um, MedGadget.com, which is another site that's um, sort of like the end gadget of the medical world, all the new emerging technologies. So it's this big open crowdsourcing um, you know, design competition online. We've got hundreds of, comp- of, of submissions from all over the country and all over the world, um, top universities, Berkeley, MIT, Northwestern, um, just tons. I mean, it, it's been amazing. Yeah. And actually this year, just uh, back in, in September, we hosted a Diabetes Mind um, Innovation Summit at Stanford Campus as kind of an, an extension of the contest. So, I mean, it's been kind of my personal mission to kind of shake up the medical device design world. Right. Make these medical devices more, you know, like the an amazing consumer desi- devices out there and to merge them with smartphones and, you know, iPhones and all that stuff because literally the stuff was so clinically driven and so much like designed for use in a hospital. Yeah. But people with diabetes with type 1, Typically, we—I mean—we live off of these devices: the glucose meter and the, the insulin pumps, which are attached to your body. I mean, 24 hours a day, you know, it goes where you go—bathroom, bedroom. You know, it so needs been, better so, design.
0: So, so, where does it? So, where does it all stand now, in terms of redesigning well, these? So,
5: things have changed a lot in yeah. um, in in that world, and you know, I like to think that some of the work we've done has really helped push that agenda. There was a. Um, so we got a ton of press coverage um, in the blogosphere and also in the mainstream press about this effort. And there was a story last year in the Chicago Tribune, um, and the headline was "Lighting a Fire Under the Medical Device Industry." And it talked nice. about how the competition that we did really kind of got the whole conversation going. We got, you know, the advocacy organizations, JDRF, we kind of got them fired up. We um, were very involved with, you know, sort of like the top six or seven pharma companies that design these devices. And then doing this summit this year, we really tried to push the envelope by bringing together a group of, you know, e-patients, right, other empowered patients who care about this stuff, um, pharma people from both the R&D side and the and the marketing side, and then yep. investors, um, designers, gaming designers, right. people who do um, smartphone apps, I mean, just a whole group of people, also the regulatory side, because obviously FDA plays a big role in this, um, and just really tried to kind of, Get beyond talk, think beyond the obstacles. But things have actually changed a lot and there's some amazing products out there. Um there is actually the first um iPhone and iPad enabled glucose meter, uh which is um it exists, it's been approved in Europe, FDA is still sort of chewing on it, but the fact that it's actually been designed and is on market somewhere in cool. the world is pretty amazing. That yeah. is
0: amazing. Wow. So things so things have advanced and even to uh even even merged with uh, Apple since Well, you know, actually,
1: and on that yes. note, because we we actually do have to wrap. Um, I look forward to a day when I have a blood meter that also runs iTunes.
5: Yep, there you Around go. Around the corner. That's just yep. it. Well, ours yep. have these ridiculous alarms. We're like, why can't you just set it to your favorite song? You know,
1: the I bleed. Sure. The I bleed. Why not? <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you All so right. much for having me back on the show. Um, you set the stage very high for Dave, but he's a good man. We'll bring him on in a second. Good luck Not to Dave. you. I'll see you soon at every e-event e- ever. <laughs> every
5: e-event there every is. Every <laughs> e-event.
1: Um, okay. But you, best best to you, see your Amy. husband, your family, and your, your cat. Oh,
5: thank you. Take care, <laughs> okay. you guys, and thanks for all the work you do. You got all it. Right.
1: Amy Tendrick. Thanks,
5: Amy. Right. DiabetesMind.com.
1: Diabetes, M-I-N-E, DiabetesMind.com. All right, this is just for Dave. Um, he, he He's a very young guy in a sort of a... He's an adult in an adult body, and I. He always like it sucks to be me too, and it does. You know, it doesn't suck to be him because of that. He is the embodiment of what it means to stick the finger at the man and really raise the roof and get people excited about sticking the finger. Well, bring him on. So Dave gets this song. Make him feel young.
0: I have no idea what this song is. This is live to win.
1: This is live to win. I'm too old for this. (laughs) (laughs) E-patient Dave DeBroncar was diagnosed in January of 2007 with stage 4, grade 4, renal cell carcinoma of the kidneys, a very late stage. His median survival time at diagnosis was just 24 weeks. Anyway, four years later, he's one of the country's most outspoken E-patients. We'll find out what that means. And has taken up the charge of revolutionizing the relationship between patients and healthcare providers and a whole bunch of other great stuff. It is my pleasure to welcome to the Stupid Cancer Show Mr. E Patient Dave DeBronckart. Dave. E Patient Dave. Yes. He's been in the chat room tonight. No, he's on, you're keeping the chat room on fire, Dave. He sure is. I am. I've been doing this for a long time. You, uh, you, you tour like 300 days a year also. Uh, not quite not quite but uh, but yeah it feels like that yeah. so i you know i've known you for many many years now and i'm surprised uh, it took me this long to get you on the show but you 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 what you have accomplished what you have set the tone for for the next you know ever the um, next ever <laughs> really speaks to like this this citizen uprising that people are just angry and they don't have a channel to communicate it and they don't have a form to express it and they don't have people to advocate on their behalf to change the system. And, you know, you are the guy who spoke up, you spoke out, you acted up, you acted out. And I want you to just talk us through your life before you were e-patient, Dave.
2: Wow, I didn't know I was angry. That's something. Or maybe maybe it's just that... Uh, that, that, that uh people who have felt frustrated or hearing something and so it shows up as angry anyway uh anyway i was i, I was a high tech marketing guy you know i uh i i worked in industry uh i liked new stuff uh i liked gadgets i liked high tech i liked software i liked data i just liked making new things happen uh and i also was an online guy you know i've been online since 1989 compuserve uh, if you want to see an interesting community to manage, consider that I used to manage the ADD forum on CompuServe when they had 10,000 active members. Mm. And I mean active. That was an interesting discussion, let me tell you. So anyway, then all, all of that was just background. Uh, it's like people say in Malcolm Gladwell's book, Outliers, that there are things that just seem to happen all at once, but uh, you know, in reality there were 10,000 hours of stuff that went into it. No. And so uh, I got sick and almost died, and then I discovered this e-patient movement, which my doctor was already a member of. And it turns out all these things, using technology and social networks and data, all just meshed together, and here we are.
0: So how you, you say your doctor was already a member of. In what way?
2: Well, the, the term e-patient was coined in the 90s, and I don't want anybody to get the impression that anybody has ownership of this. But there was this visionary doctor named Tom Ferguson who saw that uh, the great majority of what people do to take care of themselves is self-care. And back in the 80s, he published a book called uh, Medical Self-Care, which was a compilation from a magazine called Medical Self-Care. And then when he also saw that when people get sick... the the big limit on what they can do to take care of themselves is largely how much information they have. Well, plus it also helps to be a surgeon if you need to. But anyway, Mm -hmm. uh, he saw that when the internet came along, that changed everything because all of a sudden, we all could get our hands-on information that used to only be available to people with medical training, access to a medical library. Right. uh, And we could also connect with other people uh like ourselves share thoughts, share information on treatment, share priorities. And he just made up this term, e patient, for empowered, engaged, equipped, enabled. Now people are saying educated about evidence, whatever. Uh and so one of the and he started spotting individual people who were doing this stuff that he saw was now possible. One of them was my doctor, Danny Sands, who wrote the first uh, journal article about how to do doctor-patient email successfully. There's still a lot of doctors who won't touch it because they think it's not possible, right. which is ridiculous because yeah. he published this in 1998. Uh, he also wrote, uh, co-managed the creation of the, the patient portal at my hospital, Beth Israel Deaconess, and then there was Alan Green and Cheryl Green of DrGreen.com, the first pediatrician website, Jill Friedman, who founded ACOR.org, which is the the cancer community that that I eventually joined. And so when I got better, Dr. Sands said to me, hey, we have this get-together every year. You want to come along as a guest? And I read the 120-page manifesto that's at the top of ePatients.net, and it just blew the top of my skull off. Uh, I, I went away on this get-together, and everybody, they was so unstructured, everybody gets 15 minutes total to say whatever they want to the group. And what I said was, how the hell could I have gone through this past year that I just went through, using the Internet every way I could do it to help my sorry ass, and not know <laughs> that this field of study called e-patient exists and you were part of it. Hmm. So I came back from that and I started blogging on dot net. and then one thing led to another. I ended up on the front page of the Boston Globe on, in April of 2009 and that was right before the Health Two O conference in Boston and it was a big deal and all of a sudden I was getting invited to Washington for policy meetings and speeches.
0: Wow. Um, I agree. <laughs> and you, you know, a lot of doctors say, stay off the Internet, and you obviously don't ever want to hear that term, right?
2: Well, yeah, that's just freaking ignorant. <laughs> I mean, I, I understand. See, here's the thing. Back in the in the 90s, in the, in the 80s, right, like the, the AMA, the thing is the AMA can be awfully outdated. In 2000, maybe it was 2001, they published a New Year's message saying, Get your advice from your doctor, not from, your, not from an Internet chat room. Well, so consider this. Three out of four patients with my disease never hear about the treatment I got, which is the only thing that can produce a cure. Now, it usually doesn't work, but the cancer patient community on ACOR, first thing they said was, dude, if you can get this high-dosage interleukin, get it. Uh, Not everybody qualifies, but it's your only chance at a cure. Um, And it turns out that a lot of the information in the, the vetted medical databases is a full 10 years out of date. And the problem is, and this is nasty to hear, but it's true, the problem is that the people who maintain those databases don't have their ass on the line. As to right. the accuracy of that information. Right. But the patient community knows what's important to patients. So right. I could Dave, go on and, and
1: I do. What what has been summarily the, the general reaction from the allopathic medical community to this patient uprising movement? Have they been receptive? Are they willing to change? Has there been shifts in policy? Have and and has there been any sort of tangible evidence that it is inherently improving patient experience? Without question now, the reaction I get when I give my speeches,
2: and I have, I've had 150 events in the since January of last year, the reaction I get when I give my speeches now is far more open-minded, and I'm no longer viewed, my message, more importantly, is no longer viewed as something from the patient ghetto. Um, I'm becoming a marquee keynote speaker now. And the really good thing is that people now are starting to not just want to hear the message so they can, like, go back and, like, poke at this idea with a stick and see if they can turn it over or something. But people are saying, so what do we do to get to work on this, to actually put this into practice? So I don't know if the idea of nurse navigator that was mentioned earlier Uh, is exactly the same as this. But one thing that's come about recently, everybody knows there's crap on the Internet, right? But there's also gold. So this is like panning for gold. Uh, I'm fond of saying I found my wife on the Internet in 1999, Mm -hmm. but before I met her, I went through some suboptimal search results. So we know there's good medical information out there if you know how to find it, but how do you teach people now to filter the gold from the garbage, and that's where I'm starting to think maybe in this concept of the patient-centered medical home of the future, maybe there's a new role, which is the uh, an information coach, and maybe that can be one of the jobs of the nurse navigator.
0: To help uh, them mine through everything that's out there.
1: Well, the nurse navigators are like, like e-providers, <laughs> if you would. You yeah, they're the ones that recognize what the e-patients are saying, and I, I'll go back to like what I said at the, at the top of the show, which is that you know we represent a, a in, inordinately influential you know social movement of young patients and yep. survivors and caregivers. I would have never thought to consider them like an e-patient, but in a sense, that's really what this is. And and Amy's no different within the young adult diabetes you know movement. <laughs> uh they're all empowered act up patients that want change. How do you think the two interplay between advocacy and e patient? How do they? Well I mean they're completely they're completely
2: harmonious. The the advocacy in all directions. The the work that I try to do is uh in my talks is make the case that it's not a failure on a doctor's part if a patient or a colleague has seen an article that they haven't seen uh you know years ago it used to be the doctor would get beaten up for not knowing something that somebody else knows much less a, uh you know a patient so i i try to speak uh i, I present the evidence that there's uh that, that will crack through the cultural obstacles uh i well, want to say by the way when amy mentioned networked patients this gang of e patient crazies in 2009 decided to form a society for participatory medicine now if it had been up to me I wouldn't have called it that because you know the main criterion for membership in the society for participatory medicine is you have to be able to type it without typos mm-hmm. but the, the definition they put up is quite apt it said it's a movement in which networked patients shift from being mere passengers to responsible drivers of their health. Okay, the, the old model is that a patient is like a car in a car wash. You put the patient in, it does nothing, and you do things to it. In the new model, we are helping to define, in some cases, even defining what care is, that's one of the reasons that I think that Amy and people like her are the uber e-patients, because right. they've gone beyond just being engaged in the care transaction. They're taking the next step to saying, look, you guys, the whole system isn't doing what we want. And just, I know we've got to wrap shortly, but uh, consider that one of the most essential truths about the dysfunction of healthcare these days I've worked in several industries and I've been through different quality improvement movements. This is the only industry I've ever seen where the definition of quality doesn't start by sitting down with some customers in our case patients and saying, "Look, what do you guys like?" okay? And that's what Amy's starting to do and it totally rocks.
1: Dave, <laughs> let me ask you one quick question. Can you talk to our listeners about the what is the Society for Participatory Medicine? what is it well
2: it's a it's it's an informal um, almost entirely unfunded volunteer group of people who want to in one way or another that we haven't figured out yet advance the cause of doctor patient collaboration where patients are e-patients actively engaged uh in their care uh and we have Two main activities: one being our blog, epatients.net, that's e-patients.net, and the other is a a journal, jopm.org, the Journal of Participatory Medicine, which is starting to, which is accumulating some somewhat more academic evidence of uh, the principles, practices, and evidence that uh, that it works. And uh, we have a policy chair, a guy named David Harlow. He's a lawyer and blogger in the Boston area who participates in uh, policy discussions in Washington and gets into some of the geekier legalese things. We have uh, one of our members is a liver transplant patient by the name of Donna Cryer, who also is the official FDA patient representative uh, located uh, in Washington. And we're making it up as we go along. There's no roadmap for this idea of having a, uh, a medical society for doctor-patient collaboration. One thing significant, though, that I think is really a signal moment in the history of healthcare is that when they incorporated in 2009, they saw that even though this is a real medical society, it wouldn't do to have it be run by just a doctor, so they elected a doctor and patient as co-chairman.
0: Oh, and good. That happened
2: to be, yes. You know my my doctor and me. So.
0: Your doctor and you.
2: Yes. So I went from almost dead in 2007 to chairman of a medical society in 2009.
1: Isn't it fun to prove them wrong?
2: It's fun <laughs> to prove them wrong. This is oh yeah, it's like ninja
0: cancer. And, and, I, and, as, and as I saw, as I and before we wrap. By the way, you're not going to get away without rapping yourself because I've seen video of you rapping. Oh,
1: Dave! Philadelphia will never be the same.
0: See, so Philadelphia
1: gonna, will never be the same, right? You're, oh that. Oh well that, when I was when I was rapping with Celia? Yes, well, Celia
0: Chuquet. I, saw, I oh, yeah. Well, I was Ted, just
2: beatboxing. You know uh, what really rocked was that Ted Med a week and a half I, ago. Did I'm you hear about, about this?
0: I saw the I saw the Ted That's what I'm talking about the Ted Med video. When well, no, go- I
2: was uh, well, that I I wasn't at Ted Med. But or you at, were Ted,
0: at, one of the TED talks?
2: I was at TEDx. TEDx. It's a s- smaller regional one, and then they put it on the big TED website. Right. But get this—they got—they got a rapper from uh, from from uh, from MIT, uh, a beatboxer. I wish I could remember oh, his name. Rapper. And they stuck a scope up his that nose was... and down his throat, and they broadcast what his throat looked like while he was beatboxing. That's pretty that cool. Was It was disgusting. It was like throat porn. It was. It was throat porn.
1: I was
0: going to say, yeah. Throat porn. Because all the the good rappers come from MIT. Right. (laughs) (laughs) So can you hit hit us with a little bit of your rap?
2: Well, uh, oh, geez, you didn't warn me. My agent did not negotiate this. (laughs) All right, well, I don't even remember how the word goes. Uh, It was just boom, 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 boom. I want to be an e-patient just like Dave. Give me my damn data because it's my life to save. Oh,
0: boom, 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 boom. That's it. Oh, uh, that is great.
2: And there are three more verses. There are several, several long verses to it. But
1: uh,
0: <laughs> so We got the rap from e-patient Dave. I can't. That,
1: That's an epic win for the show. That
0: is. That is an epic <laughs> win for the show. That's much better
1: than Bust a Move. Yeah, totally. All right. Dave, thank you so much for being on the show. This is awesome. Awesome to you too, guys. This is a, this is great fun. You take care. I, well, I'm sure we'll run into each other at some, we'll e, have event. You, well, yeah,
0: some e event. We, uh, well, yeah, it's some event. We unfortunately, yeah, unfortunately, we do have to wrap. But we'll have, bring you back on because we could talk lots more to you and uh, certainly get a lot more rap songs out of you. And
1: you should totally come to Vegas. I, hook me up.
0: You'd be you'd be a you'd be a big hit in Vegas. You would
1: be a big hit in Vegas. You would. Yeah. Yeah.
0: You'd have a lot of groupies.
1: You'll be uh, a big hit in Vegas.
0: We hope so. Yeah,
1: thanks. All right, Dave. Right. e patient, Dave, everybody. Dave DeBroncart. Thank right. you.
0: Come on, he rapped
1: for us. He did. We got the rap. We got the rap. All right. All right. And that is a rap. That is a rap. Ha
0: ha uh, ha ha.
1: Wow, you're so funny. This <laughs> moment is brought to you by Nevermind an hey, Angels. It's not a tumor.
2: Prepare to activate. Uh, I hear there's rumors on the uh, internet. You ever seen a grown man naked? And so to all of you, a fond farewell.
1: Hooray! I'm helping. You are a meathead. Oh Magoo, <laughs> you've done it again. <laughs> that was so terrible. I think you gave me cancer. All
0: right, everybody, that is tonight's show, our 204th broadcast. We hope you have as much fun as we did
1: poking a stick at stupid cancer. We'd like to thank our on-air and in-studio guests, Kenny Kane, Amanda Freeman, Wendy Bounds, Rachel Cappio, Amy Tenderick, and e-patient, Dave DeBroncard. All right, next week, it's all about stirring things
0: up. What's that? Well, you're going to have to tune in to find out, because joining us is Hans Ruffert. He's a young adult survivor of stomach cancer. He's a celebrity chef on the next Food Network Star Show. That's right. Check it out. He's the chef of Out of the Blue. Also, Matthew Farber, he's director and provider, economics, and public policy at the Association of Community Cancer Centers. And in the spotlight... Jenna Ben, She is a gray zone lymphoma survivor, and she's the founder of Twist
1: Out Cancer. If you've missed any of our past shows, all 203 of them... Download them all for free on iTunes at iTunes.stupidcancer.com or check out the archives anytime at stupidcancershow.com. Remember, folks, if it's not stupid, it's not cancer. Live from the Chemo Deck, on behalf of Lisa Bernhardt, myself, and our whole team here at the Stupid Cancer Show, have a great week. Good night, everybody.